From time to time, I think I surprise a few people here, whether in private or in public. I give them a little bit of a hard time about making a prediction. I mean, the quality of the predictions I get, at least around here, are basically along the lines of, yeah, I bet you, you know, Colin, you take my word for it, six months, Joe Biden is going to have Black Lives Matter tattooed across his chest, and he's going to have horns growing out of his head with a tail, he's going to sprout wings and fly around the country and commit riots. And, and so, you know, I, I don't mind people making predictions, but I'm sorry to be so mercenary about this, but I kind of like predictions where I can make a buck or two. You know, like, Colin, use better buck on these five numbers. They're going to win you a billion dollars in the lottery. Okay, I can handle that. Colin, go to the racetrack. Bet on that horse in the third race. It's a sure thing. I can handle that. I mean, all these different the stock markets, all these things where we could actually put these great powers of prediction to good use. But every time I remind our psychic friends that, hey, instead of just predicting silly things, why don't we predict things where, you know, sorry, man, you and I can make a buck on this thing, right? <laughs> Everybody gets unhappy with me. They don't like it that I'm out there trying to make a, a buck on their God-given psychic abilities. Uh, well, okay, so, so I'm still sitting here, you know, making my podcast. There is no billion-dollar wager coming in. There's no billion-dollar lotto coming in. Uh, but from time to time, we can tell when something is going to happen. But that's not predicting the future. That's just observing the present. I mean, if I stood at the top of a hill and rolled down a big boulder down the hill, would I be predicting the future if I said, hey, that boulder's going to roll down the hill and it's probably going to crash into that house. And if it does, it's going to rip you to rip that house to shreds. That's not psychic. That's just knowing what the laws of physics are. You know, if you drink a gallon, if you drink a glass of sour milk, a you're not going to you're going to have a hard time drinking it. There's one prediction. And two, you're going to get sick. There's two predictions, but they're not really predictions, are they? They just the things that we see very carefully in the present, and when they have an inevitable quality about them, uh, that that makes it easy to say, yeah, if you do this, that's going to happen. I mean, we've done that at least three times around here. I mean, most recently, one of the big observations we made that would kind of strayed into the future a little bit was when the president and everybody else around the country was talking about bail reform, i.e., if you get arrested, you get out of jail without posting bail, or criminal justice reform, i.e., if you're, you know, if you're a black person in prison, the only reason you're there because of white racism, so you should be let out early. And uh, I did hedge my bets on some of these things. So it's like, hey, if you get out of prison early, I'm pretty sure you're going to do one of two things. You're going to do what they, they want you to do, which is to be a mentor for Boy Scouts, uh, basketball players, and midnight basketball. Or you're going to go back to doing what you did before, rape, robbery, murder, burglary, assault, all that kind of good stuff which people in prison, for some crazy-ass reason, they do. And so that was our first, that was one of our later, latest predictions. Um, here, here's another one we did. This was three years ago. 
uh, it was 2017, and you know, it's weird how sometimes around the country, it almost seems like somebody turns on a switch. And then all of a sudden, all these magazines, big and small, private and public, the websites, all these different places, um, they all start running the same kind of stories. So about three, four years ago, people started running traffic stories, traffic ticket stories. Now, a lot of these stories came kind of in the wake of Ferguson. Because if you remember during Ferguson, I mean, they went through at least four investigations, local, a couple locals, a state, a national investigation. They all four found the same thing. But when Holder had the investigation, Attorney General Holder, he kind of gave off the vibe that, you know, well, we're going to do something about this, damn it, because, uh, you know, I got... When I'm a black person, a cop stopped me for no reason 17 years ago, and I've been pissed about it ever since. And so there goes Holder. He's having a brisk, big press conference, gajillion people there. Everybody's writing furiously, getting ready to hear what the gut you, the full weight and power and majesty of the federal government is going to do to that guy, Darren Wilson, the cop who was attacked by the little thug. Michael Brown, St. Michael Brown of Ferguson, 6'5", 210 pounds, 220 pounds, well-muscled, said the autopsy report. So there comes Holder, and he kind of, everybody's waiting for the big news. Yeah, we're going to charge that son of a bitch with murder. Let's get him. Well, Holder goes, well, we don't really, can't really charge him anything. We don't have any evidence for that. But I'm going to tell you what's really happening in Ferguson. Why they had to burn that town down? That's because the cops in Ferguson give out too many traffic tickets. And so, everybody, I swear to God, this is the biggest bait and switch in the history of our country. And I don't think there was one reporter in that room who figured it out. And there was 50 reporters in that room, complete with flash bulbs, TV cameras, and scratching on their little reporter's notebook. You went from murder to too many traffic tickets in Ferguson. Wow. Oh, by the way, I think, I don't know if I made the, I probably didn't make the observation because I wasn't as smart then as I am now. I didn't say, hey, if you stop writing traffic tickets in Ferguson, that's going to mean people aren't going to obey the traffic laws and there's going to be a lot of bad stuff going on in Ferguson with traffic laws. Sure enough, a year or two later, I did a big story. All these traffic accidents in Ferguson, how they're not giving out tickets, especially to the fellas. How the fellas aren't obeying the stop signs, the red lights, and how there's a lot of accidents in Ferguson now. So anyway, let's, uh, let's, flip, let's flash forward to another one we did. This one has... Implications in the present. Again, I think it was like two, three years ago. Huge deal in New York State. Again, this was something that they flipped on, the switch on all over the country. They flipped it on in New York and in, in, in Washington, D.C., St. Louis. They flipped it on in, in, Saint Lu, uh, in San Francisco. The idea that there's too many black people in traffic court, too many black people getting tickets, and when you get tickets... They get, get real complicated when the fellas take the ticket, throw it away, and never show up for court. That's your warrant. That's where you go to jail. I mean, in San Francisco, 6% black, they found 50 to 60% of the people with, with tickets for failure, warrants for failure to appear were black. They just didn't show up. In New York City, the big deal in New York City is the subway. It's fair evasion. 
I mean, we're going to hear a clip in a minute where a guy goes, 93% of everybody who was arrested for jumping the fare, evading the fare, was black or brown. It means they're black. They're hopping over the turnstiles and ducking under them, finding ways to avoid paying the fare. Uh, I just see people jumping over the turnstile, you know, they're waiting for the doors to open, you know, on the sides. Uh, yeah, uh, it's practically every day. All the time. Just jump right over. Fair beating has long been a problem for the MTA, but transit officials say it has grown worse and is one reason fares have to go up in March. They say fair beating increased after the Manhattan District Attorney last year stopped prosecuting most cases. A response to concerns black and Latino violators were being disproportionately singled out. The NYPD also has eased enforcement, issuing civil summonses to the majority of turnstile jumpers instead of arresting them to focus on more serious crimes. NYPD numbers show more than 10,000 fewer arrests for fare beating since January, compared to the same period last year, a decline of more than 66%. The problem is people are not paying. And that is not fair to the people that are paying. Three years ago, the MTA said fare beating cost the system a million dollars a week, the equivalent of 400,000 unpaid rides every seven days. The agency says it will release new numbers next month, detailing just how much worse the problem has become. Fare evasion, unfortunately, with very few exceptions, is a, is a phenomenon in transit systems. It's something that you, you do have to take action to contain. Some transit advocates say a far bigger factor in the agency's projected deficits are riders fleeing the system because of poor service. The topic of fare evasion came up Tuesday at the MTA's first public hearing on its proposed fare and toll increases. It depletes the revenue, it depletes the, it depletes the money needed to fix the system. Even with the reduced enforcement, the MTA is trying to keep would-be fare beaters in line. To discourage fare evasion, the MTA has begun posting signs like these throughout the subway system. You'll soon begin seeing the signs on the buses as well. Still, we did not have to look far to find New Yorkers beating the fare, a sign that the signs so far are not having the desired effect. In 2016, 93% of those stopped and prosecuted were black and Latino. There was virtually no enforcement going on in other parts of the system. And that's the only reason they're being ticketed, because we didn't enforce it anywhere else. That's because everybody was paying the fare in the other places. Anyway, so this thing caught on. It went on and on and on. And finally, after a few months, the people who run the subway in New York got together with the district attorney in New York City. And he said, you know what? I'm not going to prosecute any more fare evaders. You write them a ticket all you want. If you send it to us to prosecute it, we're just going to rip it up and pop it in the trash can. So don't even bother. And that, they did that with the full compliance of the people who run the subway system. It might be called MTA. I'm not sure. A lot of people appointed by the mayor, appointed by the governor. They're supposed to kind of keep an eye on all the money, make the trains run on time. None of which they do. Again, I wasn't being Karnak the Magnificent. I wasn't being Kreskin. I wasn't being Gene Dixon when we did a story on that. And it was very explicitly about we're going to stop writing tickets for the fellas because, well, that's just not a cool thing to do in year 2020, shaking my damn head. So they stopped writing tickets for fare evaders. And what happened to fare evasion? It exploded. I mean, it exploded up to like a million dollars a week. Hundreds of thousands of people a week in New York City don't pay the fare. 
one in five. That's that's just a just a guess. Twenty percent of the people in New York's this is and that's information's a couple months old. One in five don't pay the fare. Used to be like three percent. Now it's twenty percent. And so nobody, not one single person that I remember that I've looked through the clips today on, there wasn't one single person when they did that, they looked around and said, hey, you know what? If we stop enforcing the fares and we let everybody know we're not enforcing the fares, people aren't going to pay the fares. And so my question is exactly the same question I asked when they were doing all this criminal justice reform is, hey, who's going to be holding the bag when people come around wanting to know who's responsible for letting all these criminals out on the streets when they should be in prison, should be in jail, and they're committing all this crime? Who's going to be responsible when the victims come forward and go, hey, isn't that guy supposed to be in jail instead of shooting me with a gun? And and luckily, with the compliance of a very meek and mild press, not too many people are left holding the bag. The reporters just don't make any connection between people who get out of jail early and the the later crimes they commit almost as soon as they get out. Ditto for the fare box. I mean, we were asking again, this isn't being prescient. It's just sitting here asking an obvious question, which is, man, if you let all all these people get on free... Everybody else is going to figure it out. It's going to grow. Then you're going to lose a lot of money. Then what's going to happen? Nobody asked that question. Well, today there's a story. I woke up to NPR today, and there was like a 20-minute story. I'm not going to bother you with it. It's too too obnoxious. But it's in all the papers in New York. It's like a big story in New York because now people, now the train ridership is way down. So now they're losing $12 billion a year, which I think comes out to like $150 million a week. So now the, tra- the fare evasion is only costing a million or two million a week. So that doesn't compare with the 150 or a million they're losing a week. But really, you know, if anybody has a sm- small business or you've worked in a really competent small business or restaurant or this kind of shop or that kind of shop, you realize that you have to, everything that comes through your back door, you are paying for. If you're working a restaurant, it's like, yeah, you don't waste anything. You get a spatula, if you're making a sauce, you get a spatula, and you scrape down the sides of the saucepan when you're done making it. And you'd be astonished how much there is, how much you save by wipe, you know, spatuling down the sides of the saucepans, big and small. Everything gets saved. Nothing gets wasted because nothing comes in the back door. That's your attitude. That's how you make money. It has to be like you have to keep an eye on every... You treat every penny like it's a dollar. You treat every dollar like it's an eagle. But the people running this MTA, it's like, oh, you know what? A, I don't take the subway. I have a chauffeur. B, not my money. C, we'll get it from somewhere. So now the same people who have spent the last four years accusing President Trump of every high crime and misdemeanor contained in the federal high crime and misdemeanor code book. I mean, the governor and the mayor, they're the ones who put the money up for the the subway. All they've been doing is cursing Trump out for four years. Now they've got to go to Trump hat in hand for $12 million dollars. 
with for $12 million to keep this thing afloat. Is anybody in the federal government, the Trump's administration, going to go, okay, you want $12 billion? Um, I just know, I just see one obvious thing right here. You let everybody on your trains for free. Oh, no, we don't. We just don't write them tickets. You know, a few months after the MTA decided to, decided they weren't going to write people tickets anymore, the governor, he put something in the budget where he hired 500 extra transit cops. I mean, that costs like dozens and dozens of millions a year. They're going to put them on the buses and the trains to encourage people to pay their fares. They weren't going to do anything. They're not going to write tickets. It's bizarre. We got a couple of big readers. Hey, Tommy, up in up in uh, New York. They work in and around the subway system. They know the subway system. And I was asking about that. I said, hey, what's up with all these transit cops? He goes, no, everybody here wants to know that, too. The cops can't write tickets anymore. So why did we just hire 500 more of them? They're not going to arrest anybody. We're going to give them a civil summons, Colin. We're going to hear in a, you know, we're going to hear in a second when the guys are talking about, um, we're going to put those officers down there for six weeks. You're not fooling anybody. Everybody knows what's going on on the subway. You just jump the turnstile whenever you can, however you can. You go in the go in the exit when somebody comes out the exit. I mean, you're not you don't have enough cops to enforce that. The only thing you can enforce is right. I mean, okay, this is simple. It's obvious. If you don't if you don't if you don't arrest the fair the people who are purposely evading the fares and give them a ticket, then nobody's going to pay the fares. And everything's going to collapse exactly the way it's already collapsing in New York. A half million rides a day on the subway and bus now. It used to be more than seven million. The drop in ridership means there's half the revenue to run the system. MTA officials ask for federal help and make a list of possible fare toll hikes and service cuts. Cutting off service is detrimental to us because how are you avoiding us from having social distancing? Let's do what we have to do. But let's do it wisely. People could submit public comment to the MTA's special board meeting called for Wednesday morning. Riders speak up. People now who have to take three buses coming from lower Manhattan are going to have to pay three fares. Possible changes could mean longer waits on subways and buses. Some lines could be eliminated. A 50% cut to some LIRR and Metro North train service. No on-demand accessoride. Layoffs could total 7,200 transit crew members and 850 railroad positions. No one wants to go down that road. The MTA is now asking for 12 billion dollars from the federal government in order to keep the system running they say through 2021 here's the case they're making to congress and president trump about the impact huge lasting damage to the economy of the new york city region costing tens and hundreds of thousands of jobs planners with transit and the railroads will review the service schedules after labor day changes could be made to accommodate the current lower ridership and save what they estimate to be about 200 million in losses each week the severity of the situation uh, is, is extreme okay so you think the good people of new york would learn a lesson what happens to your subways when you basically put out a message saying 
We are not enforcing the law anymore. That means there is no law on the subway. So now the Attorney General, the genius of New York, a lovely lady whose name I will not bother to look up. We'll hear it in a minute. She's come up with a genius idea. Well, there was a traffic stop, what, six months ago, something like that, almost a year ago. Fella, the cops stop a fella for not wearing a seatbelt. He gives him his brother's driver's license. Cops figure that out. Next thing you know, they figure who the guy really is. He has a bunch of warrants out on him. Next thing you know, they're trying to pull him out of the car and arrest him. And the guy tries to drive his car away with a cop hanging on the door. His partner shoots him dead. Now this attorney general of the state of New York says, yeah, we're going to solve that problem by we're not going to enforce traffic laws. We're not going to stop people breaking traffic laws. York's Attorney General says that the police should abandon their policy of traffic stops. Letitia James argues that too often they do result in violence. And she cites too the case of Alan Feliz who was shot dead when things escalated following a routine stop. While criminal charges were not warranted, we were greatly concerned by some of the actions of the responding officers and issued a number of recommendations that the NYPD should take into account, including removing officers from engaging in any type of routine traffic enforcement activity. Body cam video shows the moments leading up to the shooting, the fatal shooting of Feliz last October. He'd been pulled over on suspicion of driving without a seat belt. He handed over his brother's driving license and an ID check revealed three open warrants for low-level offences. Officers then tried to arrest Mr Feliz. A struggle ensued and stun guns were used. But when the car started to move off, though, one of the policemen shot Mr Feliz, who later died in hospital. Well, the policeman who fired the shot claimed that he feared his colleague lives were in danger when the car started to move. Mr Feliz's family lawyer uh, dismissed that though while the family has demanded the officers are sacked. An investigation ruled no crime had been committed by the police but expressed concern over the handling of the incident. So I'm going to break some bad news to you. I'm going to break some terrifying news to you. News you might suspect but here's the drill. The reason there are more black people in traffic court is because black people break traffic laws way more than anybody else. Yeah, that's a fact. Anybody who lives anywhere near a chocolate city would tell you that traffic, red lights, especially stop signs, they're just suggestions. Stop if you want. Slow down if you want. It's not required. Nobody's going to bother you. And we hope you don't hit anybody. But we know the rates of car accidents. We know the rate of traffic violations in the hood. Way, way, way greater than out in the lily white suburbs. Where when people come to a stop sign, they stop. Even if it's 2 a.m. And there's nobody else around. So now we got the attorney general just saying, no, we don't need traffic. Why do we need those stinking traffic laws anyway? Why? All they do is keep a brother down. And, and people in New York don't stand up and go, uh, are you totally crazy, completely crazy, or just 99% crazy? Insane. Again, this is one of these like hyper-ridiculous ideas that just because it's put forth by a black person... Very few people stand up and go, uh, stop, whoa, stop. 
No pushback. There's nobody in the New York media that's going to push back on that. I don't know. I haven't checked the New York Post yet today. Did they check, push back on it? New York Times? Gothamist? Five, six TV stations up there? Anybody get some traffic experts out there to, to tell you what's going to happen when you stop enforcing traffic laws? Yeah, people are going to start dying by the bucket full. You know, here we talk about crime as the new black entitlement. And every day, the fellows and lovely ladies in public office find a new way to make that true, to make that catchphrase a public policy. Can't stop fellas if they're driving a car. Wow. Oh, I watched you beat my blue-eyed son. And I watched you kill that darling young one. I have left the nice suburbs and fled to the mountains. I've been held up and delayed by fellas on highways. Better heed this warning, my patience is dwindling. Each new crime reported just adds more kindling. Now we're all waking up and we're watching you closely. All of you impotent leaders, oh, you will pay dearly. And there's a heart, a heart, there's a heart, there's a heart, a heart rain's gonna fall. What did you do, my blue-eyed son? Your dipshit teacher said you hate everyone. The fellas surround like wild wolves all around him. And if we don't push back, our bright future looks quite grim. I saw a black man with blood on his knife The more you ignore, the more risk on your life Our leaders try to disarm us and tell us to kneel Well, the barrel of my 38 will see you in hell well, you called out the thunder and now you've got it And it's a heart, a heart, a heart There's a heart, a heart rain's gonna fall And there's a heart, a heart, a heart There's a heart Let's head, on, let's head on up to Ohio, Ohio State University, Columbus, Ohio. You know, people don't give Columbus enough credit for being a dark and dirty and dangerous chocolate city because Ohio State University is there and everybody thinks it's a nice, quiet little college town when it is not. 
Now, there's a lot of argy-bargy going on there. There's a lot of black people preying on white students for their laptop, for mommy and daddy's ATM card, for mommy and daddy's car they just gave you to drive around. A lot of black-on-white student crime. Here's what just happened at Ohio State University. You know, we've talked about the Cleary reports here, how Uh, the Cleary rep- colleges are required to file Cleary reports. They're required to report crimes, including a description of the person who committed the crime. If you have that description and you don't put that in your tra- crime report, well, in theory, anyway, the feds are supposed to come down on you. But anyway, so Ohio State University, they understand what their responsibilities are for a Cleary report. A few weeks ago, a couple of white students out walking around a couple of fellas came up start beating the crap out of them and because the fella magic uttered a magic word like a white per you white bitch or you white this or you white that all of a sudden this beating that follows a pattern of violent hate scorn towards white people black and white all of a sudden that's the only thing you need for it to be called a hate crime sprinkle a little word on top of it That's why we don't use the expression hate crimes around here. Because it really, 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 really understates the amount of black-on-white violence. So anyway, for some reason, the people at Ohio State say, well, we're going to call that a hate crime because it fits all the the bills. People that, the fellas and lovely ladies at Ohio State got all pissed off. And they got all pissed off and they're out there demonstrating because... Well, as Gail King and uh, reminds us on CBS Morning News, most people say it's impossible for black people to be racist. And so here's what the student solidarity at Ohio State University says. Um, no, that doesn't meet the definition of a hate crime. That's illegal. To, to call what they called those white people a racial slur is illogical. Um. Let me say this as gently as possible. If you wanted to get some lessons on logic in and around the campus of Ohio State University, would you go to the Student Solidarity Committee first or last? Here's why. Racial slurs referring to white people are not based on a history of violence and oppression towards white people. Using this slur does not have the same violent racist implications as a white person saying the N-bomb. For example, nor does it make this incident. A hate crime. Crime is the new black entitlement. Most people say black people can't be racist. So now everybody's all up in arms. Oh, we can't have black. You can't arrest a black person for a hate crime. How do you do that? Don't you know crime is the new black entitlement? Yeah, that includes hate crime. Don't mess with us. That comes from campus reform. You know, if I do, if one of you guys do turn out to be a psychic and do, and you are able to give me, reliably give me a lotto numbers, that's what I prefer. So I don't have to wait around for stock picks, stock picks, sporting events, you know, where I can uh, win a whole bucket full of money. I'm going to give like, when I make my first billion off these predictions, everybody seems to have a, have a knack for, except for me. When I make my first billion on these prediction racket I'm about ready to get into, I'm going to give 10 I'm going to give 1% of that billion, which is a million, 
No, it's 10 million. Something like that. Uh, to, to people like Campus Reform, uh, Tom Litton over at... Uh, God, why am I drawing a blank on Tom Litton's group? Tom, Judicial Watch. Uh, Jeff O'Keefe over at Project Veritas. I mean, these guys are heroes every day. And how much would we know about all the bad things happening in this country if if uh, um, Judicial Watch wasn't grabbing freedom of information requests all the time, exposing the enormous difference between what these federal employees say happened and what really did happen? What about O'Keefe exposing all these people? Right now, his latest one, he's doing stuff with ballots. Harvesting ballots in Minnesota in an illegal fashion. Caught them cold. And what about campus reform? They're so good on following the latest piece of black bullshit from colleges. They don't call it that. All over the country. These are three heroes. These are three great people doing great things. And, uh... Whew, man, I don't even want to think about it if any, any of these guys went away. Do you need a break? Are you tired of forgiving all of your assailants? Are you fed up with hoping they get the help they need? Do all of the kids in your community need some activities and resources to occupy their time after a busy day of curing cancer and building rockets for NASA? Well, we here at Don't Make the Black Kids Angry Studios have heard your screams. Do you like to watch spineless liberals soil themselves? Play this music at your next event. In the hospitals, cause I stabbed you with We guarantee to have them frantically vomiting an overcompensated desperate word salad of incoherent hogwash in a pathetic attempt to eliminate the very last ounce of racism that exists within them. But everyone in the world is asking, where can I find these amazing renditions? Finding this music is easy. Just go to ColinFlaherty.com and click on the music page. Once again, ColinFlaherty.com. You can order an entire album or just individual tracks if you like. Once again, ColinFlaherty.com. Don't delay though. Our Silicon Valley cowardly overlords are always finding many ways of passive-aggressively stifling our efforts in bringing you such musical treasures as the ones you're hearing right now. If you purchase the Christmas album, have yourself a merry fellow Christmas, and are wanting more of these non-holiday timeless arrangements as desperately as you want police presence in your neighborhood, drop a few shekels in our tin can and we'll send it right over. All right, let's go from Ohio State University down to Charlotte, North Carolina. Headline, chaos and gunfire erupt at haunted house near Charlotte amidst multiple fights. 
And in case you didn't get enough of, of the bunch of fellas, in case you didn't get enough of that, let's go to Michigan. Remember, Halloween's still a month away. In Michigan, 29-year-old man is shot dead after an argument about cutting in line at a haunted house. In Michigan, fellas all. You know, every time around this year, September, October, we do at least a dozen stories about a large-scale episode of black mob violence at some kind of haunted house, whether it's Six Flags, Magic Mountain, whether it's a haunted house, some church is putting on for charity. All over the country, when the fellas get together for haunted house, haunted houses, argy-bargy, follows. And so if the trolls want to come in here, as they do from time to time, and remind us that this is confirmation bias, Colin, you haven't done a 20-year study, a longitudinal study, to show the impact of Halloween on black crime and violence until you do that 20-year study. You don't have the right to say anything. That's just confirmation bias. Okay, well, let's, okay, that, maybe that's true. I don't think it is, but maybe it's true. But let's just say I don't have, you and I don't have 20 years to figure out exactly how bad this black bullshit is. Here's a shortcut. So I post a lot of videos, a lot of podcasts over the years, black violence on Halloween parties leading up to Halloween. I've never, I don't remember one where white people did it too. Here's a shortcut. Find me a white people disrupting and destroying and killing people at a Halloween party. There's enough of them, aren't there? Find me one. Show me I'm living in a bubble. Show me I'm guilty of confirmation bias. I'm begging you. Maybe a lot of people watching these videos, a lot of trolls. You can always tell. You know, if I don't dot their I the right way or cross the T exactly the proper way, oh yeah, the trolls are piling on to remind me what's up. What about something big like this? Come on, trolls, help us out. Do us a favor. Get me some white people do it too. Videos. All right, let's go over to one of our favorite towns to talk about racial violence. At least it's one of my favorite towns. San Francisco. Having a big rally in San Francisco to protest violence against Asian Americans. But this video is a little weird because they're not really that explicit about who's committing the violence. And they're kind of hinting a little bit that it just might be white people going around the country beating the piss out of Asian people because Donald Trump sent out a dog whistle that we should all beat up Asian people because they are personally responsible for bringing the COVID-19 virus here. Well, anybody's been on this platform for any period of time. I mean, one of our first stories came out of came out of San Francisco. Big headline. San Francisco dirty little secret. Black on Asian violence. They had like hearing on it. You know, they, they got and the cops came out and said, yeah, we just did a uh, study last few months. There were like 400 episodes of ar- robbery and strong arm robbery on the streets of San Francisco. 85% of those robberies were black on Asian. 85% black on Asian. Then they went to the Asian people in the audience and they go, wow, you must really be surprised. The Asian people said, we're not surprised. This is something every Asian person in San Francisco deals with. I've got a lot of friends in in San Francisco, Asian friends, all in that Bay Area. I see them every once a year or so. They know exactly where their physical threats come from. And it's not from roving bands of white supremacy like that asshole 
Sorry for my bad language. FBI director is telling us Asian violence, violence against Asians in this country is a black thing. Yeah, I've seen the videos, a couple white people screaming at an Asian person, go home, take your virus with you. The, the exception proves the rule. What about all the stories we've done in San Francisco, violence towards old Asian people? I mean, the story here, you're going to hear here in a minute. Matter of fact, let's just hear it right now. Push to fight back against the hate crimes, racism and violence against Asian Americans happening across the country. And protesters taking to the streets of San Francisco to make their voices heard. And Betty was there. Betty. Juliet, that's right. San Francisco's Asian American community, along with their supporters, united today for this movement. It's called They Can't Burn Us All. It started as an idea between rapper China Mac and actor Will Lex Ham. The first marches were held in New York City after an 89-year-old grandmother was slapped in the face and set on fire in Brooklyn in July. Police said it was an unprovoked attack and there was no interaction between the suspects and the victim leading up to it. Today, crowds gathered at San Francisco City Hall before marching to Chinatown to show their support and spread the message of unity. Um, and seeing so many types of uh, different people, different demographics, you know, supporting this cause, it's really important because ultimately we can't get past this unless everyone unites. You know, this is just a small stepping stone to making that happen, you know. The Stop AAPI Hate Reporting Center, which was launched by San Francisco State when the pandemic began, has received 2,600 reports of hate incidents across the country. Around 650 of those took place in the Bay Area. And the forum believes these cases of harassment and discrimination are severely underreported. Julia? Yeah, so Betty, you have to ask, what is next for the group? Well, they've been on the ground here in California for the last month, just building up their connection. I mean, the one story they started off with is you can't burn us all. That's a story we just, for some reason, we did it again the other day. I forget why we did it. We were in New York, and um, there was a story about an 89-year-old Vietnamese woman, a couple of fellas walking up the street. They punched her in the face. Then they set her on fire. That is a black on Asian thing. And, you know, how many stories have we done in San Francisco, black on Asian violence? Whether it's group violence against an Asian person or just some kind of robbery where somebody gets hurt really badly. How about South Sacramento? Remember all those protests, all the fellas breaking into homes and robbing people in South Sacramento, all on video? Remember all the protests they had? They had community meetings and the mayor and police chief show up. First one, they're going... We're going to get to the bottom of this, damn it. Not happening on my watch. Five community meetings later, this tendency goes from like 500 Asian people to like 20 because they all figured out what's happening. By the fifth meeting, the, the, the mayor or the mayor's rep and the local city councilman, they get up there and go, uh, yeah, about that um, black on Asian violence thing here that we're not calling black on Asian, that we're going to pretend does not have any kind of racial component to it whatsoever, even though just about everybody involved in this black is Asian violence is black. Yeah, it turns out we can't do anything about it. Dang it. We're really sorry, man. So now the Asian people are getting guns. This is a story we've done all over the country. What about Philadelphia? Cindy Bass, black city councilwoman. Represents a district of a lot of fellas, a lot of Asian stores with plexiglass. She put through to, to protect her employees 
from people firing guns and throwing stuff and jumping over the counter and punching their employees, which was happening on a regular basis. Yeah, the fellas aren't into Asian people, their stores, because the Asian people feel like they believe in work. They believe in, you know, people paying their bills. And the fellas, well, they're just not into that the same way Asians are. So sometimes they get angry if the Asian people don't want to give them a bunch of free stuff. That's why you need the plexiglass. She outlawed plexiglass. She said it was racist. Meanwhile, around the rest of the country, black, you know, we don't even, you know, I don't even pay that much attention to the big rallies. I mean, all the protests are still happening. They're going to happen in Kenosha. They're happening. Here we go. I'm breaking my, doing my protest, doing my prediction thing. They're happening every night all over the damn country. Everybody's going, yeah, I already heard that. They kind of all meld together. Meanwhile, the, 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 the daily crime and violence, wildly out of proportion, just continues. How about Waterloo, Iowa? Ever been there? I think I, I, think, I, think I hitchhiked through there when I wrote a book about hitchhiking around the country a couple of years ago. Yeah, I've been to Waterloo. I remember it very well. I don't remember like thinking, wow, this is a center of black crime and violence. No, just the opposite. It was like, oh, this is a, it looks like a very civilized place that people could move to and enjoy their lives without worrying about living in Chicago or Philly or Wilmington or Camden, living with the constant threat of black crime, violence, and dysfunction. And th those are the words from Waterloo Mayor Quentin Hart after a violent weekend in the city. Good afternoon and thanks for joining us for KWWL News at Noon. I'm Colin Dorsey and we do have an update this afternoon on that fatal shooting at an unauthorized mass gathering in Waterloo Saturday morning. We've learned a second person has now died. KWWL's Taylor Vessel joins us from the shooting scene with more from police. Taylor, what else can you tell us? Well, Colin, while authorities have not identified those two victims by name, they have said that a 22-year-old man and a 28-year-old woman have both died from injuries they sustained in that shooting. Now, we don't know a whole lot else just yet, but we do know at least one arrest was made. What's complicated, though, is we don't know what, if any, role that suspect played in Saturday's shooting. That was Sir Frank Nelson III. Now, he's in the Black Hawk County Jail right now on a $75,000 cash-only bond. Now, his arrest came after police cleared this scene. Nelson was arrested on unrelated warrants, they say. He faces charges of possessing a firearm as a felon and interference with official acts. A heavy response yesterday morning from excuse me, Saturday morning from a number of surrounding agencies. Two other victims are said to be receiving treatment at the University of Iowa hospitals and clinics right now. Now, the rest were treated and released. In total, eight people suffered gunshot wounds and four others were injured in the chaos that followed. A crowd of more than 100 were said to be at what's called an unauthorized mass gathering. Now, it's still not clear what prompted that shooting. Police said over the weekend that there was some sort of altercation between two or more individuals. Yeah, well, over the weekend, eight people were shot in Des Moines. I'm sorry, eight people were shot in Waterloo. Fellas, a mass shooting. Any questions? Here's a story from one of our listeners, viewers, readers out in Dayton, Ohio. Except it takes place in Florida. The victim is a frank, very close friend of the family of somebody we know on this platform. Wow. 
One person arrested and another still on the run. Authorities are searching for that second person responsible for shooting and killing a mother of two during a robbery in Palm Beach Gardens. CBS 12's Lulu spoke to the victim's family after police made their first arrest. She joins us at the Chevron gas station along alternate A1A with why the victim's husband says she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Jackie Bartholomew was shot and killed inside this gas station. However, her husband says that she should have never been here in the first place. Jackie, you a different gas station after she ends her shift as an executive chef. But on Friday, she stopped here. And now her family is changed forever. She was my best friend and we were partners and we were, we were a team. Michael Simbrick is heartbroken after the sudden loss of his wife, 36-year-old Jackie Bartholomew. My wife was so beautiful and such a ray of light. He embraces his teenagers as they remember their mother who enjoyed cooking and spending time with her family. When she was in the room, everybody, she made sure everybody was smiling and comfortable. Their family trips to the beach will never be the same. She's like, oh my God, I love it here. I love the um, sunsets. I love everything because that's where it was on the other side of Florida and that's where the sunsets are. The salt water will never taste the same. The sunshine never burn. She always had a drink in her hand and her toes in the sand. Their lives changed on Friday night. Palm Beach Gardens police responded to shots fired following a robbery inside the Chevron gas station on alternate A1A. Investigators say Bartholomew later died at a hospital after she was gunned down in cold blood inside this convenience store. The 36-year-old was just two minutes away from home. She was not supposed to go to that gas station or the store at night. She's always supposed to stop at the Sunco and would roll her eyes at me when I would tell her that. Police arresting 18-year-old Ezekiel Nunez for the crimes and investigators, they're still looking for a second suspect. The girls who shot her, I believe, I, she had a struggle at the door with the girl. There was an altercation and I believe she was trying to push her way in. I don't think, I don't think she saw a gun. As police continue their investigation, this family is trying to make it through this tragedy by doing what she loved, attending her son's baseball game. Just last night, the 13-year-old's team honored his mom in a special tribute on the field. Instead of sitting home and staying home and, and wallowing in all the sorrow that, that is in the house, he, uh, he, he said, no, I'm going to play. And he took his first steps into manhood because that's what it is. going to be a lot of lonely nights and a, a lot of empty mornings. So what was it about that neighborhood? What was it about those, that store? What was it about the circumstances altogether that made the hair go up on the back of that husband's neck where he had to tell his wife over and over and over again, don't go near that store? Why didn't she listen? Did he leave anything out of the description? Why couldn't he tell her that is a free, that is a place, a center of black crime and violence in that neighborhood? Why couldn't he say that? Why did she think she was immune to that? So how many people around that store knew what it was really like, but knew that the woman that went in that store, a hardworking person who probably in her own mind and in the mind of all of her friends was just so eager to believe the best out of every single human being on this planet. How many people knew that was a dangerous fairy tale, but somehow could not tell her? Well, if you need a reminder about how the fellas are not really into us, here's a lovely lady talking to her school teacher. Did your mom, mom ever talk to a school teacher like this? We'll set the scene. They're doing a Zoom conference with parents. 
and the teacher had talked about George Floyd, and she kind of told the full, apparently she told at least part of the full story of George Floyd, that he was a very bad man that did very bad things, had a lot of drugs in him, counterfeit money, uh, bad, bad stuff. That's what we call context. Anyway, this lovely lady didn't like it when the te- her little girl came home and said, hey, teacher's saying bad things about George Floyd. Oh no, the lovely lady did not like that one bit whatsoever. White person did that. Did you ever think about that? Well, actually, huh? that's, that's... Because I don't feel as though that this conversation that you're having with our children is a good one, okay? I really don't, because it's 2020, you got racist-ass motherfuckers that don't care. Okay. And now you're in school talking to my kids about George Floyd that ain't got nothing to do with this. You're having well, an actually... ignorant, disrespectful conversation. He wasn't supposed to be honored. He wasn't supposed to be this. Are you saying this because you're white? I think right now. Now you have mom upset, and I'm speaking to a teacher, nobody else. But I feel as though since we all zoom in, you need to see my face, and I can't come to speak to you about this. Because right now, my daughter's leaving your class. And if you would like to speak to me, you have my phone number, you have my email. Well, I would have happily spoken. Can't see this. But on the video, you see the little girl. She can't be more than, what, seven, eight years old. She's got a hoodie on. It's inside. And the, the mom is sitting there reaming the teacher out in very direct and racial terms for telling the truth about George Floyd. And the little girl is behind her mom, grinning like the cat who ate the canary. Mom is out there threatening the teacher in so many words. And the little girl is sitting back there going, This is great. You know, Marla Newburn used to talk about the inevitable consequence of what would happen if a parent stuck up for a child when the child was in the middle of doing something really bad or really wrong. Marla said, yeah, I'm going to write a book about that. His title of his book was going to be something like How to, you know, How to Send Your Child to Prison Guaranteed. So if your child got caught stealing something or bullying somebody and the mom or dad comes in there at this well let me rephrase that if the mom comes in there there is no dad the mom comes in there and starts yelling and screaming that you're mistreating my little child only because they're black marlon used to say that is a 100 percent guarantee that child will go to prison because they've learned falsely somehow they are invulnerable to the consequences of their own actions and at some point that catches up to them usually in the local lockup after for some crime of a pro- crime against property or violence damn we miss marlin every day all right well you know make new friends keep the old we're going to keep marlin as our friend even though he's no longer with us the reverend bacon has been putting on his creative cap, helping Alan, the barbershop guy, write some lyrics to a song. Without further ado, let's debut the new combination, the new John Lennon-Paul McCartney. I think in this duo, that would be Alan would be the Paul McCartney, Reverend Bacon would be the John Lennon, the takeoff of Jan and Dean's Surf City. Free stuff forevermore. 
got out of prison Chocolate City, here we come Get your lettuce out, but we still treat him with derision Chocolate City, here we come I wear an ankle bracelet cause I'm on parole But no one ever stops me when I wanna roll Well, I'm going to Chocolate City, everything is free Oh, I'm going to Chocolate City, still a big TV stuff is there, yes, I'm going to Chocolate City because the cops don't care. Free stuff forevermore. You know they welcome all the fellas and our peaceful demonstrations. Chocolate City, here we come. They gaslight all our violence or they call it reparations. Chocolate City, here we come. And when I get to Chocolate City, we'll be looking to loot. As we attack the cops, we'll yell, hands up, don't shoot. And we're going to Chocolate City, cause of BLM will exploit their white fragility, it's that sort of them. We're going to Chocolate City, we'll be living large, and no one's gonna stop us, cause Antifa's in charge. Free stuff forevermore. The media can't stop calling, all our violence can't be censored. victim use the n-word chocolate city here we come we'll be looking for some liberal girls to assault because they cover us and tell the world it's all whitey's fault oh we're going to chocolate city all the cops have quit you won't recognize the city it's a piece of shit oh we're going to chocolate city there can be no peace if the fellas can't get justice then defund the police 